Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, so tonight I'm here with Chris Philbrook. He's the creator and author of Adrian's Undead Diary, the Reemergent series, Colony Lost, The Phone, and the fantasy world of Elmora. The El... Ah, fuck it, I'm going to start over now. Elmoran. <laughs> God damn. I think I think I talk for a living or something. Nailed it. <laughs> Actually, maybe I'll just leave this in. This will be the opening. Elmoran. Chris has several years of experience. No, okay, hold on. I got to read it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Le- Leah's like, good luck. I'm like, it's just fucking James. <laughs> sorry. Oh. Uh, okay, ready. All right, so tonight I'm here with author Chris Philbrook. He's the creator and author of Adrian's Undead Diary, the Reemergence series, Colony Lost, The Phone, and the Fantasy World of El Morin. Chris has several years of experience working in game development and editing, as well as writing fiction for several major game design companies. He has a business degree as well as a psychology degree. Chris has authored nine novels in the horror post... Fuck me. Why does it have to be so long? Summarize, man. Jesus. Dude, right, right. Oh, fuck. A load of stuff. Did uh, things. How you it- doing? Right, he did a he did a lot of stuff. He wrote a lot. He's written a ton of stuff. Um, so yeah, Adrian's Undead Diary just dropped. Book nine, book ten is coming soon. Uh, four novels in the Reemergence series, three in the dark fantasy novels in the Kinless trilogy. That's the Elmorlin Elmorin. Fuck me. You know what? I'm going to record this later, and then just splice it in. <laughs> this is getting too hard for me to say, and it's late at night. I'm getting loopy. Chris, how are you, man? I'm fantastic. I'm playing with matches. <laughs> Did you say playing with matches? Absolutely. I, I just found a pack of matches on my desk, and it looks like fun. What could possibly go wrong? Got me. See, and this is this is what I think being an adult is all about. There's There's no one policing this crap that we do. I mean, like, aside from the police. But for the most part, you want to play with matches, man. Yeah, Play with matches. Fire is so pretty. <laughs> God. Oh man! And then when we, I'm going to get a letter from some attorney. Right. Some kid burned his house down. He said, "Author Chris Philbrook said the fire was so pretty." <laughs> Woo! All right. So what's up, dude? Writing books, collecting fans. A lot of books, dude. So to prepare uh, for this, you know, incredibly briefly. Uh, went out to Audible, and you've got 27 audiobooks Crazy. that are either uh, written by you, contributed to by you, or edited by you, and often and edited often has contributions by you as well. And then on Amazon, there are like 40-ish plus titles that you have either written entirely or edited or contributed to or Man, you're you're all over the place. Yeah, I'm like air. I'm everywhere. Right, and and you've got two lovely daughters, a lovely wife. I can imagine all they ever see of you is like the top of your head over the laptop screen as you're sitting there writing. When do you have time? I don't write. You know, sometimes I don't know. I was talking to my wife earlier about this, and she's like, "Well, you're just going to have to start working at night after the kids go to bed," because I have such a big backlog of things that I still have to do, mm-hmm. and like. Our youngest kid isn't really sleeping all that hot, and I do all the overnights. Like, for example, I woke up at 5 this morning because that's when she woke up. 
And here I am at 10 o'clock doing a podcast with James Anderson Foster, famous audiobook narrator. And I have. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed that last part. The James Anderson Foster, famous audiobook narrator. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. well, thank you so much for uh, using some of your awake time to talk to me. I, I appreciate it. I understand how, how precious and valuable it is. Uh, it is you could be doing so many other uh, productive things right now. You're right. You're right. You know, I, I own a PlayStation 4, right, which is my console of choice for video gaming. And I don't think I've turned it on in a year and a half. And I have games that I've never played. Like, I bought them. I, you know, I got them at GameStop on, like, the buy one, get one half off thing. And they're just mm -hmm. sitting on a shelf collecting dust. <laughs> Uh, you know, it'll get turned on in about five, six, seven years as your oldest daughter says, Dad, what's this ancient thing? Right, exactly. What's this supposed to be? Yeah, with our 5G so. connection. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, I, I mentioned in the intro that uh, you write in, you know, the, the zombie apocalypse uh, genre uh, urban fantasy, you know, strict urban fantasy, epic fantasy, sci-fi. I mean, you're you're really a horror, straight up horror. You're all over the um, kind of the 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 weird fiction realm. Yeah. What's is this? Um, first off, do you have a favorite out of those? And then as a follow up, um, what drives you? to write in all of these are you are you looking for your groove is it just you you follow whatever idea comes to you or you know how do you end up you know covering such a a broad range that's uh, such a layered question uh the, the big thing for me is i have a very uh vivid imagination uh, which i think all writers probably would, would say they have uh my brain really struggles to shut off so i'll be laying at night in bed and uh, my brain is still processing, you know, the ideas that I've got, the inspiration that I've got. And uh, I have these, you know, lengthy sort of um, rabbit holes that my brain will go down where I'll, I'll develop an entire plot for a story in 15 or 20 minutes to the point where it's like, oh, I could turn that into a novel, no problem. And I, I tend to want to write the stuff that interests me. And, and the genre fiction stuff is the stuff that interests me to write. It's most fun for me. And it, uh, it, it, it can encapsulate all of my different ideas. Uh, as far as, you know, am I trying to find my groove? Definitely. Uh, you know, I say this a lot, but I, I still believe that I'm, you know, kind of a no talent hack. And when I try and write in all these different genres, I get to play around in different kinds of sandboxes and, and sort of find areas of writing and styles of writing that uh challenge me and are, are more or less comfortable for me to write in and it's sort of a way for me to test my own boundaries uh, what's my favorite the urban fantasy stuff probably it's the easiest for me to write it's i can kind of create my own world without having to do the, the homework of creating a whole world you know like i could have magic appear in any city on earth and it can be fun, and I can play around with all different kinds of stuff, and it's awesome. Nice. Um, one of the things that uh, I I enjoyed in narrating uh, Adrian's Undead Diary, that series, and that I hear a lot of fans uh, mention and, and, and talk about is your ability to take that zombie apocalypse genre and use it to really explore the human condition. You know, this this is what the fans really seem to connect with. It's not just, you know, zombie apocalypse. It's not just, you know, survival horror. It's also, you know, really digging deep into the psyche of, you know, first Adrian and then his family as it grows. And then even, you know, the, the other people that he he meets and interacts with that that maybe not be might not be so friendly. Right. How have you used or, or have you used um, these other uh, aspects of genre fiction to continue to explore the, the human condition? Well, you know, you mentioned in the intro that um, I have a psychology degree and um, the, the concept of human thought and emotion and reaction and our, our 
the machines that our brains are is just really fascinating. So when I sit down to write, uh, I tend to put a lot of thought into what the emotional state and what the, the, the mental state of a character is. And I like to think about sort of describing things in ways that are, are deeply identifiable to people. Which I think is one of the reasons why that character, Adrian, uh, resonates with so many people, because he's a very genuine character. Um, when I leave that genre and I write other stuff, what I try to do uh, is have some kind of underlying social commentary, uh, whether it be, you know, the, the villain or, you know, antagonist in, in a given novel is, um, is acting out because of very valid reasons. Uh, and to try and get the reader or the listener to uh, react to the bad guy in a way that makes them say, ah, oh, you know, I, I kind of get why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, and, you know, with the reemergence in particular, the, it, the huge portion of all those books are, are about what would we do if everything in the world suddenly changed? Um, and not an apocalypse, you know, in this case, in the reemergence, it's the reemergence of magic. Uh, to the to the modern world, and you know when you start to introduce all these ideas of what magic would do to the real world, it does do some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, you know the second book has a lot of vampires and stuff in it, and you know one of the questions that comes up is is well if you die and you're turned into a vampire, and you know your your will is enacted and your house is given away and all your worldly possessions are disseminated and then you show back up as a vampire, well, what do you do? Now all your stuff's gone, you know, like, do you get it back? Do you sue? How does that work? Are you still a citizen? You were declared dead. Um, so, I, you know, I like to play around with uh, practical stuff like that and, and sort of make people, you know, think about the, you know, the, the, the way the world is and the way it could be and, and think about, uh, think about their values and kind of challenge them. Nice. Now, I know of three books in the reemergence series but in the intro it says four right is, is there something you're 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 ready to tell people uh, i'm really bad at math <laughs> i uh earlier today uh i actually wrapped uh the fourth book in the series uh which is called it's a each of the books in the series visits uh a new main character in the universe and the main characters are all dragons uh, so the first book, the one that started the whole series, is called Tesser, A Dragon Among Us. And then it cycles to his brother and then his sister. And then before returns back to Tesser. Uh, and it's called Tesser, A Father Enraged. Um, part of the plot uh, of the series is that Tesser becomes a father. And then before, his, uh, his family is uh, sort of attacked. So very excited for that one. Nice, nice. Does he get to pull a Liam Neeson? <laughs> he tries. He, he, I don't. I don't. I don't know where you are, but <laughs> I mean, he—he's a dragon. He does have a very unique set of skills. He really does. He really does. <laughs> yeah, you know, someone once asked me or gave me a, a rash of crap about the fact that uh, in the first book, um, Maddie, the girl that Tesser falls in love with, is is essentially this like victimized woman who, you know, only exists to give Tesser someone to rescue and. To a certain extent, that's true. But if you really read between the lines, Maddie's kind of the hero of the first book. Um, oh, yeah. You don't really find out till the very end. But she, without her, the whole book doesn't happen. And, you know, part of that is how do you go after Superman? You know, how do you get Superman to to do what you want? And, you know, you go after Lois Lane. Yeah. And uh, Tesser needed a Lois Lane, and she, she kind of fills that role. So. Well, yeah, yeah and honestly, I... I'm kind of stunned that somebody would see her as a plot point in the book, uh, you know, and granted, I, I narrated Tesser, so I'm kind of invested in it. But I mean, when, when you think about it, what what does it take when you find out the guy you're dating, the guy you're interested in, the guy, you know, like isn't isn't a guy but is a dragon in the form of a human being and is very like out. And we're not talking like secret identities, you know, um, th th this guy is, is like, you know, it's so, it, I mean, you would think that the, the, the first instinct would be like, you know what? He's not that hot. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't need that. I'm good. 
Um, but she deals with it and, and you, you deal with what this does to the relationship in the story and how she struggles with it and how he struggles with it. And then my God, they have a kid. And yeah. So I'm surprised that somebody would be like, Oh, she's, she's a plot point. Well, that's an unfair criticism. Yeah. You know, some people don't like tiramisu. What? Yeah. And I think that shit's delicious and you can't please everyone. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. It's a harsh one. (laughs) So, all right. Um, I want to talk a little bit uh, more about the reemergence series and the reemergence world because I think uh, not only is the idea fascinating, but there are so many little things that I think you know if, if people aren't paying attention, they're going to miss that are either incredibly insightful or just really, really damn funny. Like, for example, in the very first book, Tesser basically learns to speak English by watching Jay and Silent Bob. Right. Um, you know, and, and then you, but, and then you see that come out in, in various turns of phrases that he uses, things like that. And it's just, it's funny. And, uh, so tell me about how you went about creating this, this new aspect of, of the world. You didn't recreate the world, but you dumped magic and dragons on it. What brought this about? Um, you know, what what was the genesis for this? How did you how did you plot it out? Where do you see it going? Basically, just you know everything. So um, back in gosh, I think it was probably nineteen ninety nine, somewhere around there. Uh, my best friend uh, Alan McGrathen uh, and I used to play a lot of role playing games together. A bunch of my friends did, but specifically this one references Alan. And I played a game uh, where I played Tesser. Tesser was a character of mine. And uh, in the book, he woke up beneath the city of New York and uh, tried to integrate into modern society, similar to how Tesser does in the book. And we only got to play a few times before, you know, the game kind of got canceled or, you know, overtaken by the the next one. And I asked Alan, well, what was your plan? You know, where, where was this campaign going? It's really cool. And he told me his, his you know, approximate plot. You know, fast forward 12, 12, 13 years, whatever it was. And and I always loved the idea of, you know, a sort of wise-ass, cursing dragon that was, you know, filtering amongst humanity. And he had this massive role in keeping things supernatural in check, but he sort of blended in. And then they, they reached a point where he couldn't blend in anymore. He had to reveal himself. And I just thought that that was such a neat idea for a book, you know, this like ultimate alpha predator right in our midst that actually had humanity's best interests in mind. Uh, so when I sat down to, you know, write something new after uh, the success of Adrian's on the diary, I said, you know what, that's such a cool story. I wonder if I could novelize it. So I, you know, I laid it all out and I, I set down the rules for the world and, and how it would work. And I, it doesn't work exactly like it did in the game, but I, I, I sort of created this mythos of, uh, you know, the seven dragons test is one of the seven. And how, you know, the various kinds of magic worked and how uh, I just thought it would be so much fun to have a dragon that had attitude and, you know, and, and could be funny and was also this terrifying creature when he really needed to be. Uh, and, the you know, just from there, I just wanted to have fun with it. I just wanted to play with characters that, you know, could, you know, topple skyscrapers if they needed to. You know, like how much fun is it to write Godzilla? And he's not as big as Godzilla, but he could probably give him a run for his money in my world. So I just, I, I really wanted to take that idea from, you know, 12, 13 years ago and just sort of like apply it to today and, and run with it. Nice. So um, this is, it's planned to be a, a five book series, you said? That's uh, what I'm contracted for. Uh, okay. They, they're selling, they're selling pretty well, uh, as best as I can tell. Uh, the, I think all three books right now are in the top 200 of fantasy on audible. Nice. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. And, uh, audible continues to promote book one pretty heavily. So the, all three books kind of, you know, they're still going and, uh, they, they wanted a book four and a book five. I'm happy to write them. And as long as book four and five still sell, I'll keep writing them, you know, probably write a couple at a time. And, you know, there's seven dragons and so far, um, you know, with the fourth book, we're rewrapping around because some of the dragons you really can't write a book about, but 
there's at least one or two more dragons that um, I could write a book centered around. And then the, you know, the human characters of the reemergence are, are where, you know, I would say probably 80% of the story is, uh, you know, Maddie Tesser's, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, wife is a major character and can hold a book on her own. She, you know, she could have a novel on her own. And then there's a, an ex-cop that winds up getting involved in the whole thing named Spoon, and Spoon could absolutely hold a novel on his own. Uh, sure. So as long as people keep reading and listening to them, I will keep writing them, and they are fun to write, and I'm happy people are enjoying them. I mean, as long as they can deal with some profanity. Because some people are <laughs> souls that they can't hear an F-bomb every third or fourth page. Uh, you know, it's not like you're using them like a comma or anything. So You know what? Fuck them. <laughs> so, you know, I had a fan um, talk to me the other day, uh, believe it or not, I, my fan, I found him. Um, and uh, he asked me about uh, the reemergence series and asked if you had ever thought about or if you had plans uh, to make it like a comic series. Uh, it would be really cool, wouldn't it? It would. As soon as he said that, I was like, Hell yeah, I'd, I'd subscribe to that. That would be awesome. I, I would definitely read that. Well, I got to, so. On a related note, I'm working with a, a local artist named Jason DeBee, who's incredibly talented on a uh, on a fantasy, like a sort of an epic fantasy comic book series uh, right now that we have really high hopes for. And uh, if that works out and we get some traction, I would love to take Tesser to the comic, to the comic world. It, it, he, the story would translate really wonderfully. Oh, it absolutely would, yeah. So you you mentioned that uh, role playing was sort of the the genesis of of this reemergent story, um, and I know that you know you you wrote, you edited, you did uh, game design for role playing games as a profession before you started writing uh, full time. How much has that background sort of played into uh, your novel writing now? Uh, a ton. Um, I, the for people who are unfamiliar with role playing games, they they are for all intents and purposes a improv play. You know, you sit down around a table with three or four of your friends, or you know more, how, whatever group you're comfortable with, and everyone at the table has a role to play. Um, one person is the game master or dungeon master, and if you imagine it like a play, the DM or GM knows the approximate plot of the play they know the beginning they know some of the big scenes in the middle and they know the approximate ending and everyone else at the table is playing a character in that play and they know their character's motivations they know their characters you know personalities they know their characters you know hopefully they know them in and out and the the dialogue is made up on the fly based on what you know the players have decided their characters want to act like and speak like. So I did a lot of the GM and DM stuff where I would you know plot these games and uh, when I was working in development I did a whole lot of you know scenario plotting that other GMs and DMs and, and people playing games would use as a skeleton for their sessions. And novel writing is for all intents and purposes the same damn thing. Uh, you know, you come up with a beginning idea, you come up with the character ideas, you come up with, um, you know, some of the really big scenes that you want to have happen, and you come up with a finale. And the difference is, is instead of sitting around a table getting a bunch of dialogue from some of your, from some of your friends, you just control all of it. Uh, so it, it is for all intents and purposes like running uh, an enormous role-playing game. Nice, nice. Um, so... I guess this this question kind of goes along with both, you know, writing for for role playing games and for your writing now, um, especially the closer you get to to sort of urban fantasy. Right. How what, like what's the percentage you find uh, that you're pulling from, like traditional history and and folklore versus just having to completely make it up on your own. I try uh, with the reemergent series very specifically. I try to root things in uh, some element of plausible history. Um, the, a lot of the magics that some of the you know the spellcasters or or shamans or whatever use 
have uh, roots in some kind of real-world history or real-world practice. Um, and also, you know, the locations are based on, you know, real mythology or real legends, or uh, they're all based on, at some level on something that is real and actual. Um, you know, and it's fiction, of course, and obviously. Yeah. Is that important to you? Yeah. That it that it have some basis in reality, or is it just a it's easier to find it if it's no, no. already out I there? I think I mean it, it reads as more genuine to me. It feels more mm -hmm. believable, and I I want to you know the the hope would be is that people who are involved in this kind of stuff in the real world would hear it in the story or read it in the story and say, hey, wait a minute, he's talking about that thing, um, or he put a spin on X Y Z, and that that's a lot of fun. Like one of the um one of the spellcasters in book one and two is a, a Russian character named Belyakov and Belyakov uses minerals uh, to kind of channel his magic. And if you, if you get into, you know, the, the power inherent in stones that a lot of people believe heavily in everything that he uses for spells um, follows some of the larger precepts of the people who do it in the real world. Um, you know, so he uses rose quartz for healing. He uses, um, you know, granite for defensive spells, that kind of stuff. Um, and it just, for me, it, it's a lot of fun to take something that's, uh, rooted in the real world. That's inspiring to me and then add my own personal take and flavor on it and then just kind of run with it the reckless abandon. <laughs> so, uh, tell me, is there any aspect uh, of the, 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 the supernatural, the paranormal that you yourself believe in to, to any extent or, you know, I, I've had some experiences throughout my life that uh, defied explanation and that, you know, I'm a pretty rational person. I, I can think things through. I don't lose my, my calm. I don't panic much. I just, you know, pretty level-headed. But there have been a couple of things, you know, four or five things that have happened to me in my life that I cannot, for the life of me, uh, come up with a rational explanation for. Uh, and you know, the, we all hope, I think on some level that neat magical stuff or life after death happens or that there are really like fantastical monsters out there that we could run into because how cool would it be to see a friggin' Griffin? Right. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I don't have explanations for some stuff and, and I hope that. I hope that the fantastic is the reason because that, that gives me hope that there, there's so much more to this existence than just, you know, you know, meat socks with personalities walking around until we rot away. Right. Can you share one of those experiences with us? Uh, the most recent one uh, was uh, probably six months ago, eight months ago. My wife and I were upstairs in our house. We just bought a house a couple of years ago. Congratulations. Thank you. It was built in 1904 in rural wow. New Hampshire. It's an old house. Not the oldest house in town by far, but an old house. Uh, and we were sitting upstairs, and our two-year-old daughter was in her bedroom, which was the room right next to us. And we were talking, and our daughter was struggling to settle. And on the video monitor, you know, we were watching her, and we sat the monitor down, and we're talking. And then our daughter Willow was just, you know, chatting it up and, you know, doing her late-night babble thing. and then. Both of us were sitting in the room looking at each other, and all of a sudden, we heard uh, a woman talking in her room. And she had an unmistakable southern accent, and she said four sentences, maybe five sentences, and we couldn't quite make out what she said, but we knew, absolutely knew, that she was speaking in a southern accent. And my wife looked at me and was like, did you hear that? And I said, yeah, what did you hear? And she's like, "There's." it sounded like a woman talking in a southern accent in Willow's bedroom. And that was exactly what I had heard. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> I opened the door and walked in, and our daughter was asleep. And uh, the windows were shut, and there was no one in that room. And the only way in or out was the door that I was standing next to when it happened. And I have... No idea, no idea what, what happened that night. 
the only thing we can think of is that, you know, there was a ghost, you know, some Southern lady passed away in the house a long time ago and she heard Willow was struggling to sleep and she said some kind words to her and Willow fell asleep and then was on her merry way. You need to put that ghost on retainer. Seriously, right? (laughs) And, you know, we haven't had any Southern voices since. We haven't had any weird, you know, interactions. The vacuum cleaner turned itself on once or twice, but we think that was because of a fuse. inside the vacuum cleaner but uh yeah that was i mean we we cannot figure out what happened and the fact that we both independently heard the same thing at the same time uh without corroborating it you know or coming up with the story ahead of time uh, is pretty creepy yeah but awesome that, that's an excellent story thank you you are very welcome we are we are still kind of creeped out by it every once in a while when something weird happens in the house we'll be like damn southern lady <laughs> oh man you know you you need to have a, a seance get a get a ouija board or a psychic to come out and... yeah i'm cool with that i don't i don't necessarily want to go down that path she seems pretty happy <laughs> i don't want to ruffle the feathers of a southern bell a dead, sure, a dead sure. southern bell in all that right, well especially one that's you know uh, apparently happy to help uh help get willow to sleep yeah yeah i mean yeah, count our blessings, move on. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> so, um I'm I'm curious if you know you, you mentioned that uh, you told us a little bit about uh, book 4 and how it circles back around to Tesser yeah. in a in uh, the reemergence series. Um but uh Adrian's undead diary yeah. just started up again. Right. After after the the first 8 books sort of you know like wrapped that story you 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 kind of took it as far as it was going to go and said okay this is the end and then book nine just came out and lo and behold we're starting an entirely new set of stories with adrian and these people in this world after you know the events of uh, of of book eight um can you tell us a little bit without giving too much away, unless you want to, feel free to give as much away as you'd like, um, of where this is going to go, what what you want to explore in the post, post-apocalyptic post uh, series? Uh, so, spoiler alert, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to or read the first eight AUD novels, um, <clears throat> Adrian kind of, uh, let's just say he conquers the issue of the undead presence. And at the end of the eighth book, you're kind of left with the idea that, okay, you know, everything's going to be all right. And uh, there's a couple of little, you know, red herrings and Easter eggs in there that, that give you, you know, the hope that there could be more stories, but, you know, Adrian's journey at the end of book eight is over. He's finished his, uh, you know, his uh, hero's journey, if you will. And, uh, you know, took a big hiatus for a few years to kind of do some other projects, start the reemergence, for example, uh, right? Colony Lost, and, and also to find, you know, more stories that were worth telling. Because I didn't want to restart the world unless the stories were going to be worth telling. Um, and book nine through 12 books, nine through 12 are what's called Adrian's March, uh, which is a new, new storyline in that world. Um, and a book nine specifically is called the dealer of hope, which is a, a Napoleonic quote about leaders needing to be dealers of hope. Uh, not enough to just lead. You have to be able to inspire and give hope, <clears throat> which is something that, uh, Adrian, uh, really starts to accept and comes come to grips with in book nine because he he has a following of people that he has kept safe for a couple of years and he he has looked up to he is admired and and you you find out in book nine that he he's actually built sort of like a um, you know for lack of a better word like almost a cult of people who believe in him explicitly and in book nine he starts to deal with that and he also starts to run into other groups of survivors who some are friendly some are not and uh you know trying to rebuild a world and given the opportunity to rebuild the world what elements of it do you trash what elements of it do you keep what ideals do you want to focus on you know more than just okay let's rebuild america um do you you know is is america the ideal you know 
thing to try and rebuild or do we want to take some elements of it and reboot it in a in a better way um you know this glorious experiment of the united states um and i, I think the you know the new series really kind of experiments with uh you know given the this tremendous opportunity and responsibility to sort of decide how the next few years of his world is going to go he you know he has to actually decide um and of course it's never that easy and you know stuff comes up and he experiences some some pretty pretty crazy um sort of incidents that that guide and and you know derail him at the same time and it's a lot of fun because it's a deeply introspective series you are inside adrian's head almost every every minute of the book uh, so you get to see a lot of that internal turmoil and his waffling and his impulsive nature and all of the different things about him as a person that affect him and, and you know, sometimes make him make questionable decisions and also push him to make the right ones. Nice. Now, along with, uh, you know, zombies, obviously, in the first series, um, you you introduced a lot of very blatant supernatural themes in yeah. the first AUD series. Does that continue? Absolutely. The um, I, I talked about this a long time ago when the story was on the website, uh, but it's not Adrian's zombie diary. It's Adrian's undead diary. And that word was chosen very specifically very early on because I knew from the start that it wasn't just going to be zombies. There were going to be other things, other forces at play. Um, and they're, they're definitely a minor part of the story compared to the zombies. But, you know, in book eight, there's a ghost. There's an absolute ghost that people interact with. And the amount of people who haven't picked up on the fact that that character uh, is dead shocks me. <laughs> um, so I, don't, I don't know if I'm a really shitty writer or a really genius writer because the, that character blends in. That, but, that's your M. Night Shyamalan moment right there. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> uh, thanks. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, it, it, this, you know, it's, it's A-U-D because there are elements of the supernatural that, that come up. Uh, and the, the, the ninth book is... It's kind of a void of spirituality in that sense, um, because you know the, a lot of what was causing the, you know, these supernatural events to happen has kind of abated. Uh, but here, uh, spoiler alert here, as book 10 comes out, you start to see that it is not gone. Uh, these elements are still at play. Uh, the forces of good and evil are still very much active, and uh, they're not done with our hero, Adrian. Awesome. And... For folks that, yeah, uh, I guess this this is just a mile. I don't know. Maybe this isn't a spoiler. Um, you tell me, and if it's horrible, we'll we'll cut it out. If I'm not supposed to say anything about this, um, but for the folks that still want to get their zombie fix, there's another story that gets woven in with uh, Adrian's story in book nine, and that's the story of his younger brother. And that's that you, you start that story all the way back on that day, day one, September 23rd, right? Uh, June 23rd. June, June. Damn it. Well, it, the, the diary itself starts on September 21st. So it's easy to talk okay. about the numbers. Thank you. You are very welcome. Yeah, Tommy, Adrian's brother, uh, was active in the military. And I knew that book nine was going to be zombieless. Um, because as I said, you know, Adrian, uh, sort of cuts that problem off at the pass. And I thought, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd had most of the Tommy stories written for years and, uh, had no home for him. And I thought, you know what, like I can absolutely include those in the new novels and allow people to still get their zombie fix while still watching Adrian, you know, become, you know, this, this leader that he wants to be. And, and that way I, I get to satisfy everybody. Uh, and so far, the the feedback is phenomenally positive about the book. So, oh yeah, yeah. And so, is our Tommy stories going to continue? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, only about half of the ones I had written showed up in the Dealer of Hope, and he's got I think three or four more that show up in the Last Resort, which is book ten. Okay. Uh, are you going to keep writing them, Tommy stories? Yeah. 
Yeah, probably. Okay. All right. I mean, I I, I don't want to like I, I don't want you to give give away any huge spoilers, <laughs> but I mean, it, for me, taking off my my narrator hat and putting on my fan hat, um, what I would love to see is you know these two brothers reunited. I, I you know I, I don't know what you have planned. You haven't told me, but I I would love to see as these stories sort of parallel each other, you know, Tommy moving farther and farther in the future with each of his stories until eventually somehow, you know, they get reunited. And I'm sure I, I can't be like the only fan <laughs> hoping that these two brothers, you know, get to see each other again. Yeah. I think that's a pretty long line you're at the end of. <laughs> right. Well, you know, in the, in the, the first eight books, again, spoiler alert, Adrian does manage to reunite with a, a good portion of his family, uh, you know, against all odds, they, they wind up being survivors and he mounts this, you know, effort to kind of move towards them and, and sort of accidentally finds them. Um, so one of the things about him possibly reuniting with Tommy is it's kind of, you know, cliched, like, okay, you know, apocalypse hits and everybody in this dude's family lives. Um, so that, you know, it could be hokey if they do reunite at the same time, you know, he's, or, you know, for lack of a better word, he's kind of the chosen one, you know, and if any family was going to be protected, reunited, it would probably be his. Yeah, you know, hokey be damned. I want them reunited. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how hokey it is. Duly noted. I'll write that story tonight before the bed. Thank you. Because, you know, honestly, if, if they, if, oh, you're just going to have a lot of pissed off people. I'm used if, to If it. they don't, yeah. Yeah, but I, I will call and, and yell at you. I don't know. You do have my phone number. Exactly. Um, so we've kind of talked a little bit about how busy you are and, and how much writing you're doing. And, you know, you, you've mentioned your family and your two little girls. And um, with all of this time and energy that you're pouring into your work, what did you have to to sacrifice to get to where you are today? Uh gosh. Um not much. I've been I've been incredibly fortunate. Uh stability, I guess, would be the big sacrifice. Um being self-employed. Anybody out there who's listening who's self-employed knows that there's a an enormous amount of risk that you take when you decide to live on the income that you generate. And uh, writing is by no means any different than that. Uh, you know, certain publishers pay monthly, some pay quarterly, some pay every six months, some pay once a year. And if it all lines up that, you know, you had a, a bad quarter on the quarterly stuff, a bad six months on the six month stuff, and a bad month on the month stuff on the month that all those come in, you don't make any money. <clears throat> um, so it's, you know, the stability has been um, elusive. And, you know, I, I as far as you know, authors go, I, 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 I do well. I, you know, I'm, I'm able to provide for the most part. You know, money is tight, but, um, you know, I've been lucky. I, 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 you know, the first book I put out has hit number one in horror. And there aren't many people who can say that. And it's still a struggle, you know, but I, you know, I really haven't had to sacrifice much other than that. I mean, I don't have like groupies smashing down my windows, so I haven't given up, you know, privacy. Um, it's, it's, it is time consuming. I've given up a lot of spare time, but I love what I do. So it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. Nice. Um, so given what you write, and uh, you know what you did prior prior to this your 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 job prior to writing i have to ask and and i ask everyone this were you a weird kid <laughs> uh my one of my sisters pulled my mother aside when i was probably 14 or 15 and said to my mom if you don't get him to stop playing dungeons and dragons He's going to kill you. Wow. Um, and, you know, this is back during the satanic panic of Dean. Yeah. When, you know, a couple people who were not well played and then wound up, you know, 
visiting harm on other people, but I, you know, I wasn't that weird a kid. <laughs> I really wasn't. I was pretty, you know, read a lot of books. I played a lot of sports, uh, you know. They made like an a, a, an after school movie or something about that, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, there was a Tom Hanks movie too. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what it was called. You know. <laughs> oh, that was awful. Yeah, but they they were you know trying to to villainize it for a while there. Uh, no, I mean I really wasn't that weird. I, I I would say I'm a much weirder adult than I was a kid. Uh-huh. I, I my parents moved a lot when I was younger. Um, you know, I tell the story we moved 13 times before eighth grade. Um, so up until the time I was 13 or so, I was always the new kid. So I tried to fly under the radar, um, and I was bullied mercilessly when I was a little kid. You know, I'm a big guy, and I was a chubby kid, and uh, you know, I got picked on really, really badly, and uh, I just, I just wanted to be left alone. Um, and I wasn't the weird kid. I didn't get picked on because I was weird. Um, so. Yeah, I think I was. I think I was pretty normal. I mean, you could check in with some of the people I went to school with. And them, but... <laughs> so the weirdness is a later cultivation. Yeah, it aged. You know, like cheese. Um, <laughs> you know, I had the money to indulge my my weird habits of book buying and research and travel, and sort of cultivated the strange. Nice. What's uh. God, I completely and totally lost my train of thought just thinking about, you know, you likening yourself to cheese there. Yeah. <laughs> cottage cheese, I should clarify. Not uh, like a, a really nice Asiago or some imported Parmesan. I'm definitely, I'm more like cottage cheese. <laughs> my three-year-old loves, um, you know, like hard French and Italian cheese. And of course, all cheese is stinky cheese. At least all good cheese yeah. is he just calls it stinky cheese. So of course, you know, as soon as you were like, oh, you know, I've cultivated aged like fine cheese, and I'm so immediately I'm thinking of my three year old calling you stinky cheese. <laughs> and I mean, really, how can I follow any train of thought other than that when that's going on? Well, you know what, three year olds know where it's at. They do. They do. Stinky cheese, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned at the very beginning, twenty seven audiobooks. Right. Right, like the the bulk of what you write has been uh, recorded and produced in in audio format. Weird for for you as an author who who has, you know, for the most part, you know, created these worlds, these people. Um, what is the coolest and or weirdest thing about hearing your stories narrated by someone else? Uh, gosh, I, you know, just that I remember, you know, when, uh, the first book of AUD, which was the first audio project that went live, uh, went out for auditions. And I remember getting, uh, you know, I, I forget what the number was, 32, 42 auditions for it, something like that, which didn't feel like a lot, but is in fact quite a few. Uh, and I remember listening to the first, I don't know, 20, whatever. And thinking, God, these are horrible. You know, like these are weather forecasters, you know, the people who are trying to sell stuff on QVC. Um, just awful, awful, awful. Um, and then uh, I got your audition and uh, that one other guy that we've talked about. And I heard them and thought, <laughs> wow, that sounds really cool. Uh, that I would listen to that audiobook. And I remember having this moment where I felt convinced that if if the book turned out like this audition, a lot of people are really going to like it. And I remember getting a chill, like getting that sort of like, you know, hair standing on end moment of, of like, wow, this, this could really be something. Um, so, I mean, that's arguably one of the coolest moments um, that, that I've ever had. Um, the weird stuff is is listening to you trying to pronounce things in some sort of a Boston accent. That's mostly <laughs> painful, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's it, there's no downside to it. It's all it's all amazing. It's all incredible. It, it's it, to me, this feels like showbiz. Um, working in in a different format, you know, I can write stuff, post it on the internet, people will read it, and that's nothing special. But when 
you are working as a you know part of a team with a narrator and a producer and people are listening to it in their car or on their uh, you know phone it, that to me feels like a production that this feels like you know I, I guess making it I can't, it's absolutely showbiz yeah yeah so you are no stranger to podcasts and er- interviews and and so forth um out of all the questions that you've had asked to you what is what is something that you you wish somebody would ask you like when you when you walk away with an interview from an interview and you're like you know that was pretty good but man i, I really wanted to talk about this or, or I, I wish somebody would just ask me this <laughs> uh great question what's the question no one's ever asked me that i want to be asked um, exactly a lot of you know a lot of podcasts and interviewers all have the same script um god bless everyone but they always ask you, well, what are your inspirations? What led you to first start writing? Um, you know, and you just tick down the line and, and, you know, I'm happy to answer any and all questions for anybody because it's fun to do interviews. Um, but, it, you know, yeah, it, it gets old and you want to talk about different things. Um, I also, because of my success as a writer, I think I get asked a lot of business questions. You know, how do you make money? How are you full time? You know, blah, blah, blah. And those get old. Um, gosh, if someone wanted to ask me questions, if I wanted someone to ask me questions, what would it be? Um, how about what book or what kind of books would I write if I didn't have to worry about money? How about that? That's a great question. What's the answer? I'd probably write the same stuff. (laughs) No, that's um, an awesome answer. (laughs) I, uh, I, you know, you, you're you're giving me a little bit of grief earlier about the fact that I've I've written in a bunch of different genres and I'm kind of all over the place. And part of that is because it, it's fun. It's just fun to write different stuff. And I think, you know, one of the great things I actually complained about this to my wife earlier tonight is that I, I wish, um, I wish I just had this fat bank account and I could say, you know what, I'm going to take six months and just write something really weird. And, and do something really fun and offbeat. And I don't care whether or not it sells. I just want to write it and get the idea out and let it live. And I have probably, gosh, probably four or five full-on novel ideas that might never see the light of day because I have no idea if anyone will like them. And that's sad. That is, that is kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. Huge ideas, characters, plots, starts, scenes, ends. I even know what I would like the covers to look like. And, you know, they might never see the light of day. You, you got to write those. I, I mean, I if I can, I will, you know. I, but I got two girls, you know. They got to eat. As it is, you know, writing the stuff that I know people want to buy, the money is still, you know, like, I, you know, we're not going to go out and buy a brand new car anytime soon. So, you know, if I if I take three months and or four months and I sink it into an idea that has no guarantee of selling at all, yeah, what do I do then? Yeah, I Oh god, risk sucks. Yeah. You know, cause, that's the sacrifice, James. Yeah, that's the sacrifice. But you know, when when I as somebody who is not a writer, um when I when I think about you know, my idea of what an author is, my idea of, of being able to, to create, it, it would be like, it, it's like you, you, would, you hope, I mean, I hope that it's those, those passion projects where you're like, you know, I have no idea if there's an audience out there for this at all, but I've just got this whole thing in my head and, and I've got to get it out there. Like that, that, that you hope that that new weird thing like just resonates like, you know, that, that, that your that it's your passion that, that, that connects with people. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess passion doesn't, uh, doesn't sign checks, but. Well, I mean, it does, you know, to, to, to be a hypocrite. If, if you take something that you're really passionate about and you believe in it and you put the work in and you do the heavy lifting, um, you get, success like what I've had you know the the stuff that has sold well for me is the stuff that I was really excited about and I had no idea it would build the following that it did so 
you know. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're going to pursue these projects. Yeah, now. eventually. You know, I, I've talked to you. I've talked to you. I want full credit for having talked you into it right here on the podcast. You, you are going to get a dedication. <laughs> all, that's all I want. <laughs> and I want an area. Absolutely. Deal. Sweet. So, um, gosh, I, I completely lost track of time and, uh, we are just, uh, just about at the end of this hoedown here. Mm-hmm. Um, before I let you go though, I mean, we, we talked about where, um, AUD is going now. We've talked about, uh, at least, uh, the, the mid future of reemergence. Um, let's talk about, uh, El Morin, uh, the, the Kinless uh, yep. trilogy and Colony Lost, which just has one book so yep. far. Uh, do you have, do you have plans for expanding these worlds and, and building these up? Uh, Elmorin is, is probably wrapped where it is. Uh, it, that's another one of those passion projects that um, I worked on for years that um, that didn't really get the warmest of welcomes. Uh, I love those books. I, I think they're phenomenal. I think the world I created is just really interesting. Uh, but it's weird, you know, it's, it's, you know, one of those things that, you know, turns out that me and a couple of hundred other people were the only people excited about it. Um, so unless I, I find a way to free up, you know, six months of my time to, you know, write another novel in that world, just sort of for fun, probably won't see any more Elmore. Uh, and then Colony Lost, uh, was conceptualized as a standalone novel. Uh, you know, one and done my, my, glorious entrance to the world of military science fiction and horror. Uh, and it has phenomenal reviews, uh, is, is loved by everyone who has listened to it or read it. Uh, but it hasn't sold a ton of books. Uh, the, since I finished it, I, I have definitely gestated some ideas about turning it into a, a series and, I would love to do that. It's another really fun world that has a lot of potential for stories. Um, and Audible uh, has said to me that uh, if I were to consider putting more books into that series, they would be interested in working on them with me. So the the idea or the possibility that more books showing up uh, in the world of Colony Lost, that's that'll probably happen. Um I also have an idea for how I want to do it uh, that's notably different than any anything else I've done uh, in terms of like packaging it and marketing it and and how I how I'm going to write them uh, and you know I, I have to kind of figure all that out and see if it's 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 a worthy idea I think it'll be but you know what the hell do I know <laughs> cool I make it up for a living James. Oh, you know, I, I, I read the words that people make up for a living. So, hey. um, awesome. Um, can, can you, can you share any of that with us or are you keeping it close to the chest for now? For, for Colony Lost? Yeah. The, uh, I mean, there's a lot, a lot at play, but the, the world of the, the basic story of Colony Lost is that there's a gas giant out there that has several moons orbiting it and a generational ship departs Earth. Um, and travels for 600 years uh, and finally arrives at this gas giant. And uh, there was originally two ships. One is, one was lost during the voyage. Uh, and the second ship colonizes these moons. Uh, I think four of them happen to be um, colonizable. And when they, they start to sort of put down roots and they've got all these worlds to grow into, uh, they realize that a lot of the minerals that we use today uh, don't exist on any of these moons in any usable quantity. They just don't exist. A lot of the heavy metals that are, are important for high-tech gadgets. Uh, so they're basically faced with a, a ticking clock. You know, Once their stuff starts to break, that's it. They don't have the means to make replacement parts. And the level of technology that they are enjoying uh, is going to go away and they will lose a lot of their um, you know, progress. So there's another planet in the system that they attempt to colonize uh, because um, probes indicate that it has some of these heavy metals. 
and they can basically risk colonizing a, a more dangerous planet, uh, dangerous because it has a magnetic field that sort of messes with everything. Um, and if they colonize this planet, they have access to all these materials that can allow them to salvage their sort of quality of life, salvage their technology, salvage their medicine, you know, yada, yada, yada. And uh, when they land on the planet, uh, it has a, sort of a species that they weren't expecting. Um, and that's where the horror element kicks in. So for the future of Colony Lost, um, it... Uh, it's a whole world. It's a, an entire planet that these people could explore. And all of uh, the main book, Colony Lost, takes place uh, on one little peninsula of land uh, on this enormous planet, you know, the size of Earth. And uh, exploring that planet could be a wealth of, of written material. Um, there could be all different manner of uh, dangers that they can encounter, all different sort of opportunities. You know, the species that they encountered showed some signs of intelligence. Is there more intelligence to be found? Um, is this you know, technically an alien race or just, a, you know, a, a creature on a planet? Um, so, you know, that's kind of where the future of that series could go. Never mind the fact that the, the universe uh, that these people on the moons have built for themselves is pretty complicated. Uh, you know, they have their own system of government and their own politics and their own, you know, uh, backstabbing uh, that goes on, you know, when, when people tend to organize into large groups. And that intrigue alone could be its own stories. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I, I'm seeing that I kind of want to try out in the in the industry is there's a there's been a huge transition to shorter novels. Um most of my stuff tends to come in around, you know, 80 to 120,000 words, which is a traditional novel size. Um, but it takes a really long time to write those books, you know, three, four, five, six months to, to churn out a hundred thousand word book. And what we're seeing is, is that the, the market supports, um, shorter stuff, you know, like 50,000 words, uh, sort of going back to serialization. Exactly. Episode one, episode two, episode three. Um, yeah. And they, you know, uh, the numbers that people are, are seeing is that the, the sales go up because the stuff is a little bit cheaper. So instead of selling, you know, 5,000 copies of a book at, you know, five bucks, let's say you're selling 15,000 copies of a book at three bucks. Um, and you're putting out a book every six weeks instead of every three months. Um, and Colony Lost could really support that. Um, I could easily write you know, 10 or 20, you know, probably 30 or 40,000 word novels uh, in that universe and really expand it and, and develop it. And uh, I could walk away from it if they didn't sell, <laughs> you know, I could write three or four of them in the time that I wrote one novel and really see if it would work. And um, I'm leaning towards giving that a shot. Nice. That's a cool idea. I like it. Yeah, you know, a couple of my friends are doing the serialization thing, and they're having great luck with it. So, uh, yeah, you know, why not, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Um, I lose my house. No yeah, biggie. I, I, yeah, I work with uh, John G. Hartness, who does uh, a number of series, and and he does serialized novels like that. He's he's cranking out like a novel, a, no, a novella a month. Right. And then at the end of like a major story arc, he just collects them all together mm -hmm. and and then also releases, you know, like a boxed set. And yeah, it seems to be working for him and his fans. So give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to try it. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, spending some of your very, very precious free time with me. I appreciate <laughs> it so much. Um, and. Uh, yeah, you know, as as more of the uh, AUD and reemergence books come out, and then possibly as uh, as uh, Colony Lost picks up again, I hope you come back and and talk mm -hmm. to us again. I'd be delighted, James. Thank you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. You have a good evening. You too. And I want to make sure to give a shout out to our patrons and supporters, beginning with Dogan Foster, C. Stephen Manley. Colleen Jackson, Audiobooks After Dark, the podcast of Paul Stokes, and Zachary McElroy. 
Thank you all so much. I, I, I appreciate your support so much. Uh, this wouldn't be possible without you. Um, and if you'd like to uh, support this podcast and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode, as well as a bunch of other cool uh, supporter-only stuff, head on over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizard level or higher. We'd greatly appreciate it. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash jamesnarrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back. Is anybody?